0: Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, August 20th, 2023. Today's sermon will be part one from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church.
1: This morning we will be continuing through Hebrews chapter 12, so if you want to go ahead and be turning there and... Will be in verses 18 to 24. 18 to 24. And while you're turning there, I just want to um, give a little update of a couple things. Um, as, as you know, we delivered Abigail off to Kansas City to go to school there, where our, one of our other sons is also at school. So Kristen and I had a, had a really good trip um, to Kansas City and uh, it was it was a little bit of a vacation even though it was a lot of driving two days there two days back and even on the way back we were able to visit Indianapolis just quickly through to visit her brother who flew in from Australia on the spur of the moment so it was God's providence working it out for us to meet um, him and so um, also um, we We've entered a new stage of our lives. We are empty nesters um, and it is it is uh, some of you are older than us or younger than have have entered that already or can see Robert back there giving a big smile like for some reason I don't know why but uh, we are empty nesters and so pray for us we we miss our kids we miss having kids running around and uh, we miss Abby particularly as she's the baby she's the last one and uh but she's there in Kansas City doing very well. Went through her first week of training where they went out in the woods and gave them very little sleep and, uh, and slept in tents and uh, marched and all these other things they did. And so it, it's really good. So she's got a roommate now. Uh, and the, girl, the roommate she has is from Mexico, first one in the program. So got to meet her, which was, which was very good. Um, second update. Most of you don't know this, we didn't really send out any prayer requests, maybe we should have, but Emily actually went into labor on Friday night, she's 35 weeks along, put her in the hospital, long story short, the labor stopped eventually, right, and so they've sent her home as of last night at 11 o'clock, so we packed the car twice, and we're heading in the middle of the night, Friday night, and middle of the morning, Saturday morning, and and so it's been quite the weekend. So please, I'll pray for her now. But please remember Emily um, during and, and Hunter. During, and, and we have Nora this weekend because they gave her to us because they were going to have a staycation. Well, you're not supposed to go into labor on your staycation, okay? But she did, but she's out. So we'll keep you informed there. And so I'll pray for her in just a moment uh, when, when we begin. But with all of that in mind, it's good to be back here today um, in, in, and be in the Word. So let me read verses 18 to 24 and then we'll pray and then we'll get started. Verse 18, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. And let me just stop for a second and say that is how every sinner comes and approaches the law of God in all of its fullness, um, as, as they did at Mount Sinai. Um, God is holy, and um, because of Adam and his sin we are we have come from Adam we are all sinners so when we come to the holiness of God when we come to the law of God just as they came to that mountain this is what we experience outside of Christ and that's what drew me God used the law to draw me to Christ because I saw my sin before a holy God And I looked unto Christ and turned to him who had taken my sin upon himself. And so that's, we're going to get more to that next week because this sermon is is part one of two. But let's continue reading. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. And then the passage switches. Verse verse 18, for you have not come to that. He's saying, but you have come to Mount Zion. So now he's speaking to these Jewish Christians and to us today. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time that we can meet together. And as we sing these songs about affliction, about the gospel, about all we have is Christ, Father we are so grateful for the church, for your word, for what little tiny things we will get today. And even as we gather together, we need you. Lord, I I am so grateful, Father, this morning because we need not just you, but we need your people. We need the church. We need the preached word. and We need to gather. And so, Father, thank you for this morning. And Father, we come in the name of Jesus. We don't stand off fearful death because we have come to Christ who has experienced death and punishment and the wrath that we deserve. And so we come as New Covenant Christians. We come to Mount Zion today. And so, Father, pray, even as I mentioned, Emily and and Hunter and and these other things, just pray that you would continue to allow the, the labor not to come until... You are ready. And we pray that you would just hold this off. And we just pray for, for even a, today, a good day, as, as you've allowed them even to leave the hospital yesterday. Pray for us. Father, as we look at these words, as we consider the gospel of Christ, that Jesus would increase, that we, that I would decrease, that Christ would be more beautiful, that these words would, be, would come alive to us by the Spirit. Father, in spite of me, as I always say, I pray that you would work. I need you. I need these words just as much as those sitting here, all of us together. Help us today, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Today is part one, and the title of the sermon is The Kingdom of Christ. We could have come at this from different angles, but let's just begin. And and again, some things might get held off today. You might think, I wish he would go there. But wait until next week. We're going to look particularly at Mount Zion. But let's begin with our context again with the book of Hebrews. The author is speaking to Jewish Christians in their day particularly. Speaking about the superiority of the new covenant over the old. If you go to Galatians chapter 4, Paul uses another picture of two women, Hagar and Sarah, to explain the differences between the old covenant and the new. Well, today... The author of Hebrews, maybe Paul, maybe not. I lean more towards Paul, but the author uses two mountains, Mount Sinai and then Mount Zion to picture the old covenant and it's the superiority of the new covenant. <clears throat> and so we must admit, admit, though, that the old covenant at Mount Sinai, <clears throat> when they were brought out of Egypt and they were there before the mountain and God brought his law to moses and to the people there at that time it was very glorious and it was amazing i mean just to think about it because we often think oh if god would just speak to me like that i'd be all right but we as we will see particularly next week we have so much more in christ but think about it there, brought out of egypt out of slavery after being miraculously delivered, after 400 years there in Egypt, and in the later years particularly in bondage, God appears to them at Sinai. And he speaks with, with signs and wonders as we have read through this text. He speaks with, as, as, as verse 18 says, with blazing fire, darkness, gloom, and a tempest, a storm. And, and so they're on the mountain... Through Moses, God gave his people these laws, which now we call the law of Moses. And he he establishes his covenant with them. He sets them apart as a people, particular chosen people, special people before him. And then he says, I am God. This is how you are to worship me. And here he gives specific, later written down words of exactly how they should act and what they should do in their worship. Can you think of anything more amazing, if you really think about it like that, than what happened there at Mount Sinai? But if we move forward today as Christians with the coming of, of Jesus, we find the book of Hebrews says a better covenant than that one. And if we move over to verse 28, if you look there with me. He describes those who are now under this new covenant as those who have come to a, verse 28, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, which may be, if you've got the ESV, that's the, cap, that's the, the heading of your, of your Bible, of the section. So he says, that is what we've come to. We've come to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Look at verse 22. Now, he says, but you have come... To Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So according to this verse, if you are a Christian today, if you have believed on Christ, if you have received him and you are a disciple of his, this text says already, today, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem this is why Paul can say to the Ephesians and to us now now we as Christians are seated where in the heavenly places with Christ now now so he's saying to these those Christians and to us today we have come to a city now already in Christ now you might be we tend to think more at least I think, many people think, look forward to a city that is to come. So when we read about this Mount Zion coming out of heaven, we tend to think of that one, right? And and I get it. Because from another perspective, there is still a city which we wait for. Look over at chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse 14. And we'll get to that in a few weeks. But he says, For here... So I'm out here, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. There's always a tension between the already and then the future of the the not yet. And there are many places in the New Testament particularly that speak about that city which is to come. But let let me say, today with this in mind, with this tension here, these verses are not speaking about that city to come, okay? They're not. They're speaking about today, here and now. Verse 22, it's already it's very, very clear. So with this in mind this morning, I want to consider these verses and next week as speaking to the kingdom, verse 28, kingdom of we have, that we have in Christ. <clears throat> and I want to answer some questions like, what kind of kingdom do we serve? what makes this kingdom that we have in christ better than the old kingdom okay what makes this kingdom better than the old mosaic one what is the essence of this kingdom questions like this and what makes this kingdom better than any kingdom that this this world could ever set up so i hope to answer these things as we know that we have come to christ to this heavenly city now, and that's what I want to do today. I have two truths only. I had to stop it because it was just getting too long, and then with everything going on, so just two truths only. Two truths about the kingdom of Christ to which we have already come. First truth here it is it is a heavenly kingdom. So the key word is heavenly, okay? Second truth it is a proximate kingdom. That's a big word. Proximate means near. So this kingdom is near us. It is proximate to us. And and so with that in mind, let's get started with truth number one from this text. And This is overall. In this passage, the author compares a kingdom established on this earthly mountain of Mount Sinai with a kingdom that comes down from heaven. So this kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. Look at verses 22 and 23. He says, but you, Christians, that's us today, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. There's the word, heavenly, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. We'll get those next week who are enrolled in heaven. There's another word again, heaven, and to God. The judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Now, I know that, that language gets difficult when we start to think about heaven and heavenly things. And, and I realize that. But when we think about, just think about the Lord's Supper. When he asks us, or he tells us how we should pray, what is, how does he begin this prayer? Our Father, who, old King James, who art where? In heaven. Okay, very clearly, when we pray, our Father who art in heaven. So, means a lot, but God is in heaven. He is, we could say He's heavenly. He is not on this earth in this regard, from this perspective, nor is He of the things of this universe. Let me just give a little quick application. God is the creator of all. So he spoke and he created all. This means God is separate from his creation. He does inhabit time. He creates time, but he's also outside of time. So when we see movies that our Hindu and Buddhist and animist friends love to to point out, like I think of the Pocahontas old animated Disney show when all everything flows together and the spirit is in the wind and the spirit is in the horse and the spirit is in the trees and all of these things or or modern more modern movies like Avatar where everything is has some kind of a symbiotic relationship together now there may be some kind of truth that we are all God's creation but the Bible does not teach this is the case God did create the world, but as Paul says to the Athenians, he does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, I realize we cannot explain all these things when it comes to this, this word heaven or heavenly, nor can we understand all of the things that goes on there on this side of heaven but by faith we know and we believe these things are true so for our purpose now i only want to emphasize from this text that the kingdom of christ is not of this earth it is different from mount sinai it is an it is a heavenly kingdom it is not on a physical mountain the kingdom of christ has come to us in the gospel and the one that has come to us is from God himself, and and this gospel finds its source in the God who made all things and who upholds all things in heaven and earth, which, by the way, the scriptures say that he does that in Christ. And this kingdom does come down to us in words, as it did on Mount Sinai. But when we get to the New Testament, who is Jesus called? When they listen to those words on the mountain... John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Look at verses 22 and 23 again. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion. So what kind of place is Mount Zion? We're going to really look at that next week. But but for now, it is not like the mountain, Mount Sinai. It is not an earthly mountain. It's a heavenly mountain. Look at the next part of the verse. Verse 23, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. So I believe those are just synonymous. Mount Zion, heavenly Jerusalem, city of the living God. They're all the, the same. So when we think about this city that we have come to today in Christ, what kind of city is it? Is it? Physical Jerusalem. Good question, because the Jews, they found no greater city on the earth. None. The Muslims today would look at it, many of them might see it as the first, but, but most of them would see it as the, probably the second greatest city on the earth. But the city about which we read here in this text is no earthly city. It is not an earthly Jerusalem. So, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 4. Because Jesus is going to allude to this teaching in Hebrews, okay? He's going to to teach this to a Samaritan woman. You probably know the passage. I use this passage a lot in my preaching. I tend to refer to it a lot. So, Jesus goes to Samaria there with his disciples on his preaching, teaching tour. And as he goes through Samaria, which he had to go through, he finds a woman at a well, a famous well, there in Samaria. And do you remember what he says to the woman at the well? Well, let me, let me go back on the story just a little bit. He comes to this well in the middle of the day, and there's a woman there, and it's very, very hot, which shows that she came at a time when nobody else would see her because we find out she had five husbands, And the one she was living with was not her husband. And so she probably was not well respected or thought of in the community. And so she she comes there and there's Jesus. And he has a... And she and Jesus, they strike up a spiritual conversation. Um, Which, by the way, we as Christians should be having with our friends and our neighbors and our, those whom we work with, we should be doing this often. But Jesus has this conversation with her. And there in the beginning, Jesus actually points out her sin. And then what does she do? She tries to change the subject, change the conversation. And she tries to move away from her sin <clears throat> to a more general topic, such as worship. Which She doesn't realize that she's trying to, to move off the topic, but with Jesus she's moving to the main thing and so she says hey Jesus our fathers the Samaritans they worshiped on this mountain so she pointed at the mountain close by okay but you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where people must worship thinking of Mount Sinai and so here she she changes the subject to a physical conversation about mountains. And if Jesus were a good Jewish Pharisee, what would he have said to her? He would have said, yeah, absolutely. You need to get back over here to Mount Sinai. You need to come back to Moses and the law. You guys left us. You separated from us. You need to come back. But Jesus does not tell her this at all. He says something else to her. Here's what he says. He says, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and now is here. Because Jesus was there with her. And it was still by faith that always anyone ever believed. So he says, it's coming, but now is. He says, when you will neither worship in Jerusalem nor on this mountain. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. There's coming, that time is coming. It's here now and it's coming. He is saying really exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying in verse 22. Look back at verse 22 of Hebrews 12. So turn back there quickly. But you have come to Mount Zion. So he's not talking about the earthly mountain, is he? Exactly what Jesus was saying to this woman at the well, this our author is telling those Jewish Christians who they have come to in Christ, and that is the same for us. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. In this same passage, the woman says to Jesus, I she tries the same change the subject again. I know that one day the Messiah is coming, God's messenger. God's one from heaven. He's coming, and he's going to tell us the truth. And so, in other words, if you might be telling me some truth, but, hey, the one that's coming, he's going to tell me the truth. Do you remember what Jesus says to her? He says, uh, this is my paraphrase. He says, woman, the one you are speaking with is him. I am that one from heaven. And so the gospel, the kingdom of God has come to us today in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you know what? He is more than a man. <laughs> this is what the author of Hebrews has been explaining to us from the beginning. Look with me, if you would, back to Hebrews chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 to 3 again. Just We've done it. i bet. 20 times through the book of Hebrews, we're going to do it again today because we need to hear this. And again, our context is heaven. Jesus, the man, but who else is he? Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, <clears throat> but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus says in another place, If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. So let me, before moving on to... To truth number two, and a couple applications. Let me just make a couple comments here, or a couple implications from this text. Number one, and we've been talking about this Christ came from heaven. This means that his kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. This means he is not merely a man, okay? He is 100% man, born of the virgin, sinless. But also, the Bible teaches just as clearly that God took on flesh. So He is also God in His essence. So that's something we must always keep in mind as we read the Bible. And I know that's a big point of contention between the rest of the world. But we believe it to be true because these are words to us, and this is what the Bible teaches. And by faith, we know that it is true. But second... Second implication here is the kingdom that we have that has come down from heaven in Christ cannot be shaken. It cannot be destroyed. Think of the earthly mountain on Sinai. The mountain is, I, I, I'm assuming it's, it's there today. But what if there were major earthquakes in the area and it was split in two? What if there were floods and it just erodes and goes into a a river or a sea? What if men take enough dynamite and blow up Mount Sinai? You think you could do that? I guess in theory you could do that. It can be destroyed, that mountain. So can this earth, for that matter. But what about the heavenly kingdom? It cannot be shaken. It cannot be destroyed. This means the kingdom of Christ cannot be defeated. So, as Christians, when we come to Christ, we come to a kingdom that cannot be shaken and cannot be destroyed. In fact, it is the only one, and if we do not come to that kingdom, we will perish with everything else, because only those who come to Christ are a part of such a kingdom. So the kingdom of Christ will not be shaken there is no enemy that is strong enough to destroy the kingdom of Christ so that's number 1 and that was a bit long next week we're going to delve into some more specifics there but <clears throat> the second truth this morning is the kingdom of Christ is a proximate kingdom so proximate means near proximity i am near proximity to jb and ellie right here and just a little bit nearer to scott and my wife in other words the kingdom of Christ is near it is, we might say, it is upon us. As Jesus told the woman of the well. there's a time coming and is here now because he was standing right there with her. So as Christians today, it is true for us to say, we can say that the kingdom dwells within us. We could say that in some manner of speaking. The kingdom of Christ is a kingdom where all its inhabitants are near to God. So you think... Besides you right now, Kristen has nobody near her right now except the the Lewis family who takes care of her often. We appreciate that. But the person sitting next to you are near that person. Well, as we're going to see, the kingdom of Christ is actually more near to us. But in all of the nations of the world, all the peoples and all the ethnicities and all the languages and all the colors and all the socioeconomic places... All God's people have the same proximity, nearness to God. So in this way, the new covenant in Christ is better than the old. Look at verses 18 to 21. For you have not come to what may be touched. A blazing fire, darkness and gloom, tempest, sound of a trumpet, voice of A voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that even Moses said, I tremble with fear. At Mount Sinai, in this perspective, there's really no touching the mountain at that point especially when God was there speaking to Moses. It was the opposite. They were not even to come to the mountain at all. Even the cattle could not go close without dying. The people begged that God would not speak to them. And again, in His holiness and in their sin, that's what they saw as God brought His holy laws to them. They could not endure His holiness and His wrath upon their sins. Even Moses, the most humble man to walk beside the earth besides Jesus, according to the Scripture. The, The man who was God's special person, the mediator. Even he was saying, I fear and I tremble, because he too was a sinner. But this is not the case in the New Covenant. I mean, think about your lives as Christians. Today, when I stand up here and speak, for the most part, are you standing in fear and trembling? When you sing songs about Christ and you know your sins are forgiven, do you feel a distance? No, you feel near. Because this, we live in the new covenant. John the Apostle writes here's what he says about Jesus. He says, speaking of the gospel, Gospel of Christ, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it, we testify to it, and we write these things so so that our joy may be complete does this sound like a man riding in fear? It does not. He speaks of hearing and seeing and touching and still having great joy. Can you imagine them hearing and seeing and going to the mountain at that time and coming away with joy? See the difference there? It's what he's doing. This is the incarnation of Christ that he speaks of. This is why Jesus came. He is Emmanuel. God, you know what that means? Emmanuel, God with us and he says to all whosoever will come to me all of you who labor are heavy laden and I will give you fear and anxiety and and and, and tempests and and all of these things is that what he says no he says come to me and I will give you rest take my yoke can you imagine them taking the yoke of that mountain upon them with God's holy law And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I I am gentle. This is the Son of God speaking to us. I am gentle and lowly in my heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I remember when I first became a Christian. When I looked at the law of God and I considered my sin, and I, I attribute all of this to grace. Not, not Grace Baptist Church. Grace. The grace of God. And as I lived my life and went my way into college, someone started to speak to me about the Bible, about God, about the Son of God, and, 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 and words were read to me like, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but I have everlasting life. And, and some verses like that started to speak to me, and I thought, you know what? I am such a sinner. And I remember you know, hearing those words from preachers, friends over a period of a few months, and then getting into my bedroom and reading the book of Revelation. And I must say that as I came, there was this feeling of I am at Mount Sinai, and there is fear and trembling, But yet, when I came to Christ, I knew that He had died for my sins. He had taken the punishment that I deserved upon Himself on the cross. And instead of fear and trembling, which is what I had when I looked at God's law and God's holiness, and I looked at my life, and I looked at all the things I was lying and deceiving people about my own life, looking back to even my own baptism as something, I... I, I had fear and trembling, but then I realized that Christ had died for my sins. And this is the new covenant. This is what the writer of Hebrews is telling these Jewish Christians. Look at Hebrews 7, 19. Let's turn over a page or two. For the law made nothing perfect The law just tells us our sin. But we cannot stand up against it because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So he's saying, in the old covenant, all it it brought forth was fear and trembling. But in the new covenant, now we draw near to God. Hebrews 7.25 Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost. That means to to the ends of the earth, to the ends of sin and how far it goes. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. So let me ask this question. In the New Covenant, how near are we? How near are we? Well, in Christ... We're not just outside the mountain area, waiting for the wrath of God to fall upon us. In Christ, we are more than near. (laughs) I don't know how to put this, but we are more than near. How? By the Spirit. Jesus, it's one of the things that Jesus says. In fact, I think it's the main thing that Jesus came to do. If you read John 14, 15, 16, 17, he speaks about uniting. He's united with the Father. And he wants to go and get those who are his and and unite them to the Father. And how does he do it? He does it by the Holy Spirit, which is something new in the New Testament that happened at Pentecost. Now, people were still saved by faith, looking to the promises, and I'll admit through all of my years and thinking and preaching, and through all of these things, I don't understand all of the ins and outs of the, the change between the old covenant and the new, with the coming of the Spirit. But it is, it is clear that, that all of God's people, it's like moving from a well water to city water, where everybody's connected together by the Holy Spirit. And so we are more than near by the Spirit. In the old covenant outside of Mount Sinai, they could not touch it. They were far off. But in the new covenant, we are united to Christ. Doesn't Jesus say, I am the vine, you are the what? You're the branches. Is there, is there, is there, is there any b- blockage between the vine and the branches? No. So today... I'm going to have to stop here and have just a couple applications as we end. And so, wait for next week. But in Christ, we are near to God. And that's what we see in the new covenant. So, here, here's a couple applications. First application In Christ, there is no fear. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, there's, there's often fear, especially when we are sinning. Fear will come, but then we turn unto Christ and we know that Christ has covered our sins. And that's, that's, you know, I don't know where you are at. If, if, if it's a continual sinning, continual sinning, and you are never have yet come to Christ, or whether if you're having fear, it is just that you are sinning in some way, and you need to repent and come back. But whatever the case, in Christ there is no fear. The thunder and the lightning and the awesome darkness at Mount Sinai, the fearful voice... One of my favorite stories is Jesus in the boat with his disciples. They go out on the the Sea of Tiberias. There they are. And Jesus is sleeping because he's tired from preaching all day and whatever. And the disciples are up on top is the way I picture it. But Jesus is sleeping. And all of a sudden, the worst tempest they had seen is fishermen. They know they're going to perish. They know they're going to die. If this storm continues, they will die. Just like Mount Sinai, that's what they thought. They could not go near. And then what do they do? They run to Jesus. Well, they don't run very far, they're in a boat. They go to Jesus, and Jesus rebukes their faith. (laughs) But he says to the storm, Peace, be still. Oh. That is what Christ does when we look at the law of Moses because he laid down his life on the cross and he takes the wrath and the punishment and the sin that we deserve. All the things you've done this morning or this week or last month, whatever they are, and all the sins you will commit in the future, he lays down his life as a sacrifice for your sins if you are a Christian. And what He does for those of us who draw near to Him, and we come to Him, then we have no fear as they had in the Old Covenant. We know we've broken His laws, but Christ... Listen to some verses. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So for us today, this means we do not stand away from the smoking mountain falling on our faces because of our sins. because We, can't, we could never approach such a mountain. But because of the person and work of Christ, those, Paul says, who were once far off He's speaking of them on the mountain. I believe in Ephesians 2. Those were far off. And then moving on to the Gentiles as well. But all of us, he's brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13. Romans 8.15. Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We tend to just take that as fear right now. But if you are in Christ, there is no overall fear. You might be fearful because of your sins, but there's nothing that good. Repentance and faith and looking unto Christ, and you say, I know God has forgiven my sins. There's nothing that that can't solve. But he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So in Christ, there is no fear. Another application. We approach God with boldness. 2 Corinthians 3.12 says, Since we have such hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses. Moses wasn't very bold there, was he? He was fearful. He said, God, not even me. Don't let me. But God, in His grace, said, Moses, you still come. as He pictured Christ. But not like Moses. Who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So let me ask you, as parents, which of you would refuse your kids' entrance into your bedroom after they've had a nightmare? And they're really hysterical because you know they are as scared as they've ever been. Which of you good parents would ever? Nobody here would do that would ever deny their parents. I've shared this illustration often, but I think of that movie, The King and I. And the king had all those concubines and all those wives and all those many children. And then he has this one little girl who's like his special favorite. And so all these envoys are coming into the palace. He's sitting up his throne above everybody. As everybody, as they come into the room, they must bow down on the floor, and they cannot even step up until the king says, rise. And there they are, there they are, there they are. But his little, I forget the girl's name, but the little precious little girl who's one of his children, when she wants to come see daddy, it doesn't matter what time of the day or the night or what's going on in state affairs, what does she do? She opens up the door. And I notice in the movie, the, his attendant, that's his second-hand man, just looks at the daughter and goes, like, she can do that. She runs. She doesn't bow and kiss the floor. She runs all the way up to her daddy, and she jumps on his lap because she has to tell, if I remember right, about the sickness of, 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 of someone else. Or the, I forget exactly what was going on, but what she had to tell him was very important to her. And did he deny her? He didn't even say, hey, honey, wait a second, honey, bow down. He's, he just, it was natural and so I think that's a good picture because such is the case with all God's children at any time, anywhere, whether it's on Mount Sinai or on the, if you happen to go to Samaria or you go to China on the wall, whatever, we have access to God and He is near and we approach Him with boldness. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to bring us to a close. There's much more to say this morning about the comparison between the old and the new, which we're going to hit that next week. We're going to really look at Mount Zion a lot more in in specifics. But this week, I just want to end with just thinking for a second about the Lord's Prayer again. Jesus teaches us to pray. Father, I memorize the old King James, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. <clears throat> forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. <clears throat> Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Can you imagine the Old Testament saints praying in such a way? outside of Christ as they stood on the side of the mountain. No. We pray like that, and we ask, and we praise Him, and we adore Him, and we ask that He forgive our sins, and we say, Your will be done in our lives and on earth as it is is in heaven. And we, we end that with Your power and Your glory. We do that, and in whose name do we do it? In the name of Jesus. Because all of God's promises are yes, and everything that we have comes down to us through Christ this morning. So I, I hope this is helpful to us this morning as we, as we go out. I look forward, if God gives, to next week as we look more closely at this. If you are not a Christian and you heard the gospel for the first time today and you know you're not a Christian, I would say trust Christ. Talk to your parents. Talk to the one sitting beside you. Talk to one of, one of the elders. Look unto him because you will not be fearful anymore of your sin, you will know that Jesus died for your sins. And if you are a Christian, then find comfort and hope here in these words today as we go out into our week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words today. When I think about my sin and I think about your law, I can... I can only do as the Israelites did in fear and trembling just await your punishment and your wrath. Father, that was before Christ. And I come today as a Christian very humble. Father, we are all humbled and we pray that you would forgive us our sins. Help us to walk in godliness. Help us to Look under Christ. May he be more beautiful to us. May we love him more, cherish him more. Thank you, Father, for these words today. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, nine hundred fifty Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at nine thirty for fellowship and service starts at ten. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.